Welcome to season two of Before the Coats, a podcast dedicated to helping students learn more about the fields that they wish to pursue through conversations with pre-meds and healthcare professionals. This podcast is brought to you by the Culture of Medicine Committee at the UC Berkeley chapter of the American Medical Student Association. We're your hosts and we're so excited to be here today. I'm Ayush, a freshman from San Jose, California, intending to study MCB. I'm still getting used to being a college student and specifically a pre-med. I have so many questions about the process and I'm honestly not sure where to start or how to go about this. I'm Christine. I'm a fourth year from San Diego studying um, molecular cell biology and with a minor in theater. And you're in luck because (laughs) I've been through basically all of it. Um, I'm Caitlin, a third year, also from San Jose, California, majoring in molecular and cell biology with an emphasis on cell and developmental biology. And Christine and I are here to help Ayush navigate through his way of being a pre-med at Berkeley as older, you know, more experienced upperclassmen. Yeah, so that's basically what this episode is going to be. It's, it's going to be basically POV, you're a freshman and you have no idea what the hell you're doing. So- so we're here to kind of give a little guidance. So Ayush is going to go ahead and take it away. Yeah, for sure. So right now I'm actually in Chem 1A at Berkeley and it's been, it's been an experience. <laughs> it's the first of my many lower divs for molecular and cell biology. And so I guess I was wondering how the experience was for you guys since, you know, you're upperclassmen so you've taken all the lower division courses and most of the pre-med prerequisites um in high school I took I took chem twice like I took honors chem and AP chem and chem 1a was still hard (laughs) like it was so (laughs) hard definitely Um, relate to that (laughs) it's just like so much more in depth and they like ask more about like like back like the reason why things happen versus I feel like high school is very like um surface level like oh this is this is what it is you don't have to know anything else it was okay I think I worked really hard in that class and then I ended up UJ signing that class um a couple of semesters like after that like during the summer um and it's definitely interesting from the other point of view it's it's a rough class for sure it's a really big class as well yeah, but um, I think you also have to keep in mind that these like lower divs, honestly, they're kind of trying to weed you out like all these like huge classes. And like, even if you think your grade, like your raw score is like terrible, you'll probably, they'll probably do like grade bins so that your grade like at the end is like higher. So you just really have to like stick it through and like, you know, like not fall into that mentality that like you're not good enough or like you're not smart enough for the class. Cause really what they're trying to do is just like see who's truly determined to be, you know, pre-med at Berkeley, things like that. Um, and I took Chem 1A my freshman year along with um, math. Um, so, that, yeah, that wasn't, like, too bad of a combo. But, you know, like, as you get older, you're going to start taking, like, these are still lower divs, but um, I feel like they're honestly, like, a little bit more in-depth. Like, um, OCHEM is a lower div. Like, these are all things you need to, like, um, declare the major. And I think it also depends on, like, really what professor you have because I had, like, a really great professor for both my – first and second semester of OCHEM and I honestly really enjoy that class even though a lot of people say like oh that's like the killer class for like pre-meds um and yeah you're gonna have to take a lot of classes that you like where you feel really lost like bio 1a bio 1b like all these are just like 
they're pretty hard honestly <laughs> but if you like keep persevering honestly and just like find a good group of students to like work with or like collaborate with I think it can honestly be like a really valuable like um valuable classes because I mean when you're going to study for the MCAT like these are all things you need to know so if you try to like really learn the material like while you're taking the courses you'll have to do less in the future because it'll like really be ingrained in your mind so like my mentality or like my advice would be like not to be so like daunted by all of these like um lower divs and you know you hear all these like horror stories but honestly like as long as you like push through it and like just try to like remain positive and like trying to learn like and like learn the most um through your classes I think it can be like the experience is like very worthwhile and you shouldn't be like so afraid of it thank you yeah. I'm gonna try and keep that in mind <laughs> <laughs> also study groups are great like that's how I found like my close friends are from like study groups and things like that. And they just like make the experience. It was kind of like a hangout every single time you studied. I don't know. It makes the experience a lot more enjoyable. Okay. So we've talked about lower divs and since you guys have taken basically all of them, if you could rank like, or not just rank, but choose what's the best lower div in your experience and what's the worst, what would you say? Honestly, that's really hard. Um, you know, I think it's kind of subjective because as like an individual, you're bound to like one subject more or less than someone else. But I think for me, what really makes a class is the professor. You know, if the professor is really excited, um, engaged in the material and like, you know, you can tell he really cares about his students and like their learning. I think that's what makes like a class truly great. So for me, um, ironically, I would say that OCHEM, both my first and second semester were two of the best like lower days I'd had to take um just because like I said like my professor was so great um any advice like if you see Marsden Peter Marsden is teaching the class oh, like goodness. I would definitely yeah suggest you take it um he's like an amazing professor and he's really understanding and accommodating to students so that would be my favorite um next you know the next ones I don't really have too strong of a preference they're all kind of just like I don't know, like I'm, I just got to get through these but um I could definitely say what's the worst this is these actually aren't lower this because you don't need it to declare but I just hate physics personally I think a lot of pre-meds do so I would say 8a and 8b were like the worst and then um everything else kind of in the middle like bio 1a I would say that was maybe that's definitely a difficult class but I liked it. Um, I would say like I'd rank it equally with like Chem 1A because I like chemistry and biology or like molecular biology, but it's just like they were definitely like harder classes. And then um, also I would say by 1B, like, you know, like it's like not known to be a super hard low division or lower division class, but just like the subject, I'm not really into plants, things like that, evolution. So for me, that was just personally less interesting. But like I said, like, you know, to each his own, like everyone's going to have different preferences. But yeah, I would I would say that's my ranking personally. Yeah, I would agree. I actually really enjoyed OCHEM. Usually you're going to find people who either really like general chemistry or they really like OCHEM. I personally really enjoyed it. As you said in the in the chat, he says, I had got Volhart, which is also a professor at Berkeley. And I also had him and he was crazy. <laughs> he like um, is an interesting man. And he probably was so fun when he was young because he always tells those weird stories during class. But um, his class was so hard. I still did like decent in that class, but I studied my butt off for that class. It was a lot of work because I think like 
he came in, he's really smart. So he comes in with the assumption that, you know, so much. And I was like, man, I don't know anything. I don't know what you're saying. So I studied a lot more for that class. Pete Marsden is the best OCHEM teacher because I think he, the way he like teaches, he uses all chalkboards and he's very like organized. So like, whenever you look at your notes, you're like, this is exactly what I need to know. And when you go back and study, it's like clearly written out because the way he studies is so, um, or the way he teaches is so organized and his tests are very fair. Like what he says in class is what is on the test. Um, versus Volhart, I felt like he would literally throw you the craziest thing you have ever seen in your entire life and then put on the test. <laughs> but besides that, like the content itself was so fun because it was very like problem solving. Um, Ochem is very like mechanism based and I thought that was really fun. Um, physics 8A, I enjoyed physics 8B was not fun. Um, and then I think same with like bio 1B, it's like plant bio, so it's evolution, ecology, um, which is not a hard class in the sense of like the content, like it's very memorization based. It's just people don't do well as in like their grade doesn't do well because it's such an easy class that like you can get three questions wrong and get a B. So like the tests are, you have to get like basically close to 100% on the test to get an A in that class, which is really hard. Yeah, in my memory, they made like each MC question, like they're only like, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, but like each one is worth like three points. So you get one wrong, that's already like, you know, minus three points. And like, it's a lot of, definitely a lot of like careless mistakes you could make that, you know, influence your grade. But yeah, I think it also just like, you know, um, like I've been saying, like, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, then I'm sure you'll find the class yeah. more interesting, more doable. You'll enjoy like the material you're learning. But for me personally, that's not something that's like a top, you know, interest for me. So that's why I didn't rank as high in my list of lower division classes. It's crazy what's coming for me. <laughs> so speaking of lower division, now that you guys are upperclassmen, you guys are actually, you've declared and you're kind of starting your upper division or like, you know, working on those courses. And I would say, like, I'm curious about how, they are comparatively with the lower division classes? Like, how do you enjoy them? What's the workload like? Yeah, any any details you can give me? I think workload-wise, they're less of a, like a workload, there's less busy work, um, but there's, they I don't know, I think they expect more out of you. MCB 102 is known to be a difficult class, it's biochem. And it's very memorization heavy, like learning your amino acids and everything like that. Um, and then 104 is known to be like relatively easy comparatively. Um, and I think it is really based on professors because most of the time, once you get to bio 1A and bio 1B, like you'll have three professors per class and that goes on during your um, 102 and 104 as well so like you switch every time and like you, it's really luck based on like what teacher you get um, elective classes I'm in an elective I'm in am I in two electives no I'm in one but <laughs> elective classes you get to once it's your senior they start doing less memorization tests and it's more about like application tests. So they're, they're going to say to you a lot like, oh, there's not a rubric because there's multiple correct answers. And like, 
<laughs> so which makes it harder to study because like you know like at least when you when you have to memorize it's maybe not as applicable but it's easier to study because you know exactly what you need to know you know um and the workload is a lot less like i don't really have assignments that much it's just like going to lecture and like making sure you know what's going on yeah i definitely agree with everything that christine said so actually christina are in the same operative we are the same class together right now yeah we're in mcb 136 which is um physio and overall it's a really good class but you know as she was saying like a lot more application based like a lot more critical thinking like they're like oh um, we can't really give an example of an answer because like there's so many correct answers and you're just like mm, okay well, like, how do I know yeah I'm like uh how do I know if mine is right though you know like things like that but it's like more I think it becomes more about thinking about um experimental design kind of like how you would design your experience how to interpret results things like that will that will really prepare you for like you know later on like when you have to read or even write your own research papers um and then I think just like a big thing for me was um, class size. You know, we go to like Berkeley, huge public school. So it's not like you're going to have like 20 person classes, but still you could definitely tell there's a size difference between the lower divs and the upper divs. And that could be beneficial because, you know, for like letters of rec or things like that, just like getting more one-on-one -on -one time with your professor. If you go to office hours, it's like less crowded, things like that. Um, and yeah, you just like get a lot more flexibility once you declare, um, because like as, <clears throat> as like a freshman or a sophomore, you're likely taking lower days that like, you know, you just have to take. It's not necessarily like, cause you're interested in it, but like for electives, um, once you declare the major, there's so many and, um, they all like cover different topics. So you can really choose and like hone in on one that like you're really interested in. And so I feel like that just makes the experience, experience more fun and more like, you can like kind of cater it to your own yeah. desires and interests, which is like one thing that I found really nice after declaring. Yeah, we're both in 135A. You're in 135A, right? No, Wait, I'm not in 135A. Oh. <laughs> I just pulled that out of nowhere. Anyways, I'm in 135A, <laughs> which is an elective B class for if you're a cell developmental if you're a cell developmental biology um, emphasis. It's um, endocrinology, which is like hormones and things like that. It's taught by Gary Firestone. I love that man. He is such a good teacher. I highly recommend that class. It's like kind of, it's like, actually, I, don't know, I wouldn't even say it's that difficult. He also just like really cares about his students. And he'll like, even like, he puts in the time to like learn your names during class. Like he'll like pick you out and be like, who has a question in point? And he'll be like, Omar. And he'll get it wrong, but like, you know, at least he tries. Like, <laughs> and I, Gary Firestone, great teacher. If you need an elective, I would take his class. I'm definitely taking notes. <laughs> so speaking of upper divs, uh, I was curious, what are your emphases like for each of you? I think we're both uh, cell and developmental biology, but you know, there's different tracks you can take. There's like immunology. Um, yeah. yeah, like ton of different ones. And then within CDB, there's two tracks too. Mm -hmm. there's, I'm in the um, medical physio one. Yeah, I'm also in that one as well. Would you say that like having experienced all the classes, all the experiences and the challenges that you faced uh, in your time at Berkeley, do you think that that's like led to a certain degree of burnout? 
funny you ask. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, like you like go to Berkeley, like it's like the norm almost to be studying like, you know, like on Friday night to like, you know, like on the weekends, like um, I just feel like it's like almost a constant grind, but also it's kind of like time management slash like how much you need to study or like how, how efficient you are um, in studying and things like that. And um, I think I'm doing fine now because, you know, I've kind of like feel like I've got a grasp of like my entire major and like things I have to be doing. But I think also another reason you experience burnout is not only from your classes, but like all the comparison that you're likely doing, at least for me, I was always like, you know, like I would hear um, upperclassmen talking about like, oh, like you have research or, oh yeah, like, oh, I'm so busy. Like I have like my three research labs and like, you know, like my EMT and like my medical scribing. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, I'm not doing any of that. And like, I just like almost stress myself out even more. And then like, also as you get older, you're like, oh, like I need to shoot, like not even just extracurriculars. Like, like I need to start studying for the MCAT. Like, you know, think about like applying things like that. So I feel like all that. And then like, so like even in your free time almost, like it's not even like you have free time. It's like in your free time, you're thinking about things besides studying for your classes. And that's why I think I felt really overwhelmed because um, like last year, especially I think towards the end of like um, the spring semester, I was just like really burned out feeling like um, I wouldn't even make it, you know, like as a pre-med. But I think I one thing I realized is like, you shouldn't compare you know everyone says that but I think that's really key you know everyone is like doing their own thing like and um you can't like really be like oh like since he's doing like five different extracurriculars like I have to do those exact same five things you know like everyone can like choose their own path and like you should also make time for like your hobbies um things like that and you should really take things one step at a time I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed but like we need to like think in like the grand scheme of things like we're still like almost like fetuses in like this whole like application process around the like route to becoming a doctor and that's why we feel like we have so many steps we need to complete but like if you start thinking about like oh once I'm already in medical school like where do I want to go for residency like that is so far out of the scope like I think you just really need to like take things like one at a time and be like okay for now I can focus on this one thing and like continue like that because that's how you'll like get past everything like one by one I I completely agree I think if you zoom out too far it stresses because like if you think about it even when you're a doctor you have to take a test every what 10 years or something like that like you have you just think about the next test don't think too far ahead um I definitely experienced burnout I'm kind of burnt out right now not gonna lie um it's like I think the beginning of my college career, I was like, I knew Berkeley was going to be a hard school. And I was like, in my mode of like, oh, I'm going to prove I'm wrong. I'm going to get through all these weird classes because people drop out or they don't drop out, but they drop out of that major or like they like they decide a different career path or something like that because the classes are really hard. So I like worked really hard the first two years when you're on your like lower div classes and there's a lot of people who want exactly what you want. And there is a lot of comparison. Um, and it's also like, oh, like if I wasn't studying all day, I would feel guilty or something like that. Like there's people, there's always someone working harder than you, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm not doing enough for this and doing enough for this. And I think you, you learn how much studying you need to do and time-wise efficiently for you to be prepared instead of just like taking an entire day to study. But like, it's kind of like, I don't know, like aimless studying or like you're not using it as efficiently. So I think I learned how to like, not waste my time as much. Um, but burnout is definitely a thing. I think 
it is mitigated by friends and also finding things that are not STEM-based that you can do. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I definitely feel like that feeling of inadequacy or like comparison, I resonate with that. Um, just being new here, like already, I can see how hard people work to do well in classes. And already I feel that sense of, oh my gosh, I have to keep my head above water. It's like everyone's, the standards are so, so high um, for Berkeley students, yes, but also like now you're Berkeley pre-meds. So it's it's like especially high and, and there's a certain pressure. So thank you for kind of addressing that and, and speaking openly about it and being honest. Um, I guess to go into like the pre-med side of things because you know, this is like a pre-med podcast. So um, I think it's, it's important to talk about those elements as well. Um, you've taken so many courses and usually your courses are kind of designed to cover the aspects of um, things that are tested on the MCAT, which is like the test, the big, big test you need to apply to med school. Um, so I guess, what was your experience with the MCAT? Um, like, how was studying for it? How was preparing for it? How was actually taking it since you guys both have taken the MCAT? Um, I'm just curious to hear about that. Um, yeah, so I'm not gonna lie, you know, MCAT is not a fun time. Just, it's a lot, you know, mentally, extremely draining, studying for such a long period of time, you know, like, probably like the max you've studied for any sort of test before is like I don't know like like I don't know like a month or something but it's not like serious serious study maybe like the SAT or the ACT but like those things are like nothing in comparison you know it's like max like what is it, like three hours or something like it's not so serious but the MCAT is a lot tests your knowledge on almost everything um, so like there's different sections and the topics they cover are biochemistry, biology, gen chem general chemistry, um, organic chemistry, physics, English, like reading comprehension, um, psychology, sociology, you know, like basically literally anything you can think of, it's like probably tested on there. And um, so I took it um, after my sophomore year. So like uh, my leading into junior year summer. Um, and then I studied for about like two, two and a half months, I would say, um, not like super intensive studying. So like, I would say like, um, you know, like I've known, I know people who have studied for a month, like over winter break and done amazing, but like they say it's like a full-time job, you know, you're just studying from like nine to five or something like that. But most people, I think a lot, a little bit more time, um, to study for the MCAT just cause it's such a extensive, like there's so much content and like, there's also practice excuse me um there's also practice that's like involved um but yeah it's just like very ap like application based like very passage based there's not really too many like brute facts but you do need to know that those facts in order to even like think about what they're asking and like find the answers or like think about the answers um but honestly I think the most challenging part for me was like keeping focused almost both during my study period, like not feeling burned out um, towards the end. I'm just gonna, like, you just wake up and you're like, wow, I really don't want to do this today. You know, like I just wish I could do something else, but um, I think, yeah, you just like have to keep a positive mindset and like integrate 
uh, rest days within your study schedule. I found that like really key to like making sure that I'm, I don't feel like too overwhelmed with studying. And then also um, the test itself, you know, it's like seven and a half hours. It's super long. Like, and the, I think the hardest part for me is like, you have to be laser focused for like those seven and a half hours. Like there's not, you're not, you can't be like dozing off or just like daydreaming in the middle of the test. Like it's time, it's very serious and you need to like kind of stay focused as well as you can't let like your performance on a previous section, like hinder your like next section, you know, like, like you can't, you shouldn't really like dwell on the previous section be like, oh, oops, like I think I did so bad on like chemistry, but then you're heading into like the English section and then, you know, you don't want to be thinking about your past mistakes. So honestly, I think it's a lot of endurance and like preparation, um, both mentally and physically. You want to like get into a routine of like waking up early. You want to like replicate like as much as you can what actual test day would be like starting, I don't know, like maybe a month before, just so you feel prepared. And then also like confidence, you know, like you want to feel confident going into the test. Like it's like you, ha you have to go in with the mindset like, yeah, like I am going to do well on this test and I am going to conquer it. And I think one thing is like at the end, like you, I don't know a single person who's like walked out of the MCAT and been like, wow, I crushed that. You know, like I did so good. Like, <laughs> honestly, I feel like I mean, these are like top scores, you know, like they, they like did really well on the MCAT, but still like you talk to them, you're like, no, dude, like I walked out of the MCAT. Like I almost voided my score. I thought I did so bad, but like, that's just honestly the feeling you have. Like when you take the MCAT, it's hard to feel confident um, on such a long test and like such a hard test, but you just have to like put trust in like all the work you put into studying for it. And yeah, like just being mentally and physically prepared, I think is like the biggest advice I have for that taking that account. Yeah, that was painful. Um, I, the AMC, the like the company that like makes the MCAT, they have practice tests online and they are pre like pretty accurate to what score you will get on your actual test. So preparation and endurance is key. And I think I, I feel like there's a lot of things that I would do different if I were to take it again. Also thinking about like knowing what type of studier you are, because there is like, there's a lot of people who can just self-study and like, just like buy the books for, I don't know, 200 something dollars and just read the books and know it. And I tried to do that. And honestly, I feel like I'm more of a, a class learner, like having someone like being more visual versus just like reading it off a page and like knowing that. Um, so I think if I were to go back and do it, I would definitely take a class. The only thing is they're like $3,000, <laughs> um, which is then you start thinking about how much money goes into preparation for the MCAT and like big things like this, like it is also, I don't know, finances is, is a big deal when you start thinking about um, preparing. Um, and yeah, and I had a lot of like mental fatigue during the test. It's such a long test that your brain just starts going mm -hmm. everywhere. And yeah. I think doing the tests, like more practice tests constantly, like every week, but like for a month or whatever leading to it is really helpful because you need to be able to know that your brain can take it for that long of a period. Mm -hmm. um yeah like content is important but definitely in my opinion practice is more important and like you want to like walk into the text test being like oh yeah this is just another day in my studying like mm -hmm. I've been taking like all these full-length practice tests like for the past like month like it's just another day it's nothing special and that's kind of like why you want to replicate things so like down to like I don't know like what time you wake up how you get ready just like very routine like 
Um, and kind of as Christine mentioned, I think one thing that's really not talked about when it comes to MCAT is the financial aspect. Like, I mean, even registering for the MCAT, the test is like $350. Yeah. 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 It's not cheap, you know? And um, even if you self-study, I would say like the average is almost up to like, like 500 to a thousand dollars just spent on prep materials, you know, getting like Kaplan books or buying the AAMC question bank, um, question yeah, bank. All the tests like, cost money. All the practice yeah. tests cost money. There's a couple of free ones from Kaplan and from, <laughs> yeah, like, but their, their scores aren't accurate. They're like a little bit harder. So like you can yeah. like see conversions on online, there'll be like conversion from Kaplan to like mm-hmm. what you might possibly get. Um, yeah. the money, like I got my books, from Facebook marketplace because like they're cheaper um yeah. and I went for like 200 but there's like certain classes you can take like they're a thousand two thousand three thousand dollars which like not everyone can afford which like I couldn't afford um but I definitely think that it would have like helped having someone who actually and they're done by people who score like 100 percentile on their test yeah who yeah. know exactly like how because the type of questions that they give you are not like the questions that you would receive on like a Berkeley definitely test. not yeah and a lot of people will tell you this, and I definitely agree, and I wish I did it more, is that focus less on content and more on question practice. Like, there's this thing mm-hmm. called New World, which I would highly recommend getting. It's about, um, it depends on how long you want the skip subscription for, but mm-hmm. it's a couple hundred dollars, depending on how long yeah. you want. It's like 250 to like 300, I think. That's kind yeah. of the range. Which is I a also lot of money. New World. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it has... <laughs> a giant question bank and it like splits it up into each of the sections and it does a similar thing to and that's why I bought it is they have a similar thing to Anki if like if you've ever heard of it it's like a what it's a flashcard that people yeah it's a flashcard app that a lot of med school students use and it's, mm-hmm. it basically uses like uh repetition based on like how hard you like grade that question mm-hmm. like oh this question is really hard they'll show it's it to like you upgraded quizlet i would say yeah it's, it's an free, upgraded it's quizlet basically yeah. but um you world has that same application within their um within their website so you can it's like both and also anki is ugly i don't like using it <laughs> so i mean i think that's really helpful and i wish i used that more than trying to read the books and like learn it also because if you try to take it early like like i know caitlin said you took you took it your um after your sophomore year and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't take all the classes that mm-hmm. those subjects like cover if yeah like, by your sophomore year right so then yeah. you start having to I had to self-study a lot of like some of the subjects like physics I didn't take mm-hmm. um all the physics stuff so it's the finances it costs a lot of money and like yeah there's definitely a discrepancy on <laughs> based on how much your family makes with mm-hmm. what's what you get. yeah so I would definitely I mean there's a ton of resources you know like we're just like throwing out names here and you're, you guys are probably like what are you guys talking about but I think there's a lot of like helpful posts like even on just like reddit you know like of past uh, test takers who have who say like oh these are the resources I found the most helpful and they kind of just compile it or you can always talk to like upperclassmen people who have already taken the MCAT and then kind of touching on what Christine was saying I would definitely I would recommend you take all the courses um at Berkeley that are of the subjects that are covered on the MCAT because likely what you'll see is that Berkeley courses go more in depth and like you need it like you know like at least for physics like 
we were learning like really hard stuff like at Berkeley but then kind of for the MCAT you don't need to know as much kind of just like remember the equations and like know how to apply like the basic concepts and then you're good um and actually when I took it I had completed all the prereqs I took in physics 102 all of that but I would say that especially if you have not taken 102 yet you know there's no rush to take the MCAT you can always take a gap year things like that so I would really recommend you complete all the lower divs as well as 102. And then, you know, you don't have to take like uh, uh, physics because it's not too, you know, it doesn't go too in depth on the MCAT, but like it always helps, you know, and like that's just less self-studying that you have to do. Um, same with psych and psych is just like, honestly, a lot of memorization, um, but there's like very helpful resources for that too. Like Khan Academy has like a summary, like a 300 page doc or 100 or 300 something page doc just like with like straight facts and like as long as I know you it's like hard to say like as long as you memorize that you'll be good but just it really hones in on like the key concepts you need to know um because a lot of the times like books book prep like Kaplan or Princeton goes like really extensive and you're like there's no way I can memorize all of this you know so like Khan Academy and it's free well I kind of just like sum it up like for you um and yeah that's like also a resource that I really recommend but kind of the overall thing is more practice, you know, like you, you should know the content, but at the end of the day, it's just practice, mental and physical preparation. And, you know, just like having a confident mindset, like going into the test. Thank you so much for that. So I think we've like definitely addressed like classes and MCAT. These are some of the more like standardized requirements for med school. But as you must know, <laughs> there are extracurriculars and things you need to do outside of, you know, getting good grades and a high score on the MCAT to be recognized by med schools. So, like, what's your experience with extracurriculars? What extracurriculars are you guys doing and, you know, pursuing? And any advice you'd have for me um, when I'm looking for extracurriculars that would help for med school? So I'm in a couple clubs at Berkeley. Um, you know, there's so many pre-med clubs, pre-health clubs that you could join. Um, so in terms of that, like, just find something you're really passionate about, I think, because it's not really, like, med schools don't really care if you just say, like, oh, yeah, I was part of this club, but, like, okay, but, like, what did you do, you know? So, like, for example, like, AMSA, this, um, the host of this, or sorry, not the host, but, like, this, um, the people who brought this podcast um, were on a committee, and it's kind of like what you do in the club that really matters. And I think um, you can write stories or like talk about your experiences in these clubs. But if you feel that you haven't made an impact or if you feel like you're not doing like genuine work, it's not really worth your time to be a part of these clubs. Like anyone can be like a general member, things like that. I think it's like more like what you do with it. Um, so that's like just, those are just easy ways to get involved in extracurriculars. Um, just clubs at Berkeley. And you don't have to like be at those like, top like clubs where like um admission or like sorry um well yeah where you have to apply and it's like super cutthroat to like be in one of these like so um so-called like top pre-med clubs at Berkeley it's just like more what you're interested in I would say and then also I am also uh doing research um at UCSF in a lab and a lot of times like looking for research can be really daunting, I think, to people who are incoming freshmen. 
um, they they think like, oh, like, I don't know how to get research. Like, I don't know how to cold email. Like, I don't know how to get started. But actually, Berkeley provides like a lot of resources that makes it easier. Um, like, for example, the way I got my research was through URAP, which is like uh, undergraduate research apprenticeship program, I believe that's what it stands for. But like every semester they have openings for projects and you can apply up to three per semester, but like you can only um, commit to one. So you can look through the list of projects. Like there are a ton of professors like um, who need help in their labs and they're really looking for students who are go who are willing to commit for like, you know, uh, one or two years. And like, the, honestly, the longer you work at the lab, like the more of a contribution you're gonna make, right? So I would say look through that list um, and like, uh, apply to those that you feel um, you could like really contribute something and like do something in that lab and what I really liked about your app is there's no cold emailing you know you just apply um, and like there's just one question I think that's like you know like why are you interested in joining my lab um, and as long as you like feel like a thoughtful answer you know like they'll ask you like other questions like what coursework have you taken like you know what's your GPA but at the end of the day I think it just um, is really if the professor thinks you're a good fit for the lab and it's every semester too so like say you don't get it freshman spring or something then you can try again like sophomore fall things like that and that's how I got my research I was lucky enough to get it that way I don't have too much experience cold emailing but I know that's um, an option as well and a lot of people get research that way so there's like a lot of like cold email templates or like other people you could ask for help um, and actually I think one underrated thing for getting research is uh, you could like subscribe to the MCB newsletter, which is just like um, a newsletter that the major like sends out. And like, if you scroll, there's always like research opportunities listed. And like, these are like professors that are looking for help in their labs. So, um, and like a lot of people don't check, you know, I didn't even know about this until someone told me, but that's like also a really great resource. Um, yeah, I've been working in my lab for about a year now and I started kind of late, you know, I feel like Christine and I were really unlucky in terms of timing, you know, we wanted to do a lot of things like medical scribe or like just at least get clinical experience um, in the hospitals. But because of COVID, like everything was shut down, even like in-person labs. So like it was almost really difficult for us to like get those things. Um, but I think Christine can talk a little bit more about her experience um, doing with her extracurriculars. Yeah, so my extracurricular life is all over the place. <laughs> I think I tried a lot of things and I, uh, Kaylin touched on the fact that like, you have to really be passionate about what you're doing. And I think I've joined a couple of things. It was also like, it's hard because of COVID to like, there's this club called KDSAP, which is Kidney Disease Screening Awareness Program, which is um, a really good club from what I can tell, but it's COVID, so they can't do any screenings right now. Um, uh, there's a bunch of other clubs that also help in terms of like just being a pre-med and like telling you like how to apply for your MCAT or how to apply to medical school and things like that, which are really helpful. But sometimes it's more, of, sometimes it's like hard to stay, you like want to do things, right? And that's why like, like AMSA, for example, um, we're doing this podcast, which I feel like is really helpful. And like, I'm passionate about just because like, I feel like these are things that I wish I knew when I was a freshman. And I wish I did things maybe like a little bit differently if I went back and did it or something, you know? Um, and also like not being like, I am like a, a theater minor. So that was something I did outside of STEM, which I think also like as a pre-med, you're like, oh, I have to do all these things that everyone else is doing. And it has to be STEM because 
how else am I going to build my future? <laughs> um, but I think it's also great to think about being a well-rounded student and like finding ways to, um, to stand out as an applicant. Um, I think I had a boss, I did random things. I joined so many different clubs. I did, I worked as like a content curator for like this, this like website that a chem teacher was <laughs> building. Um, and he had a medical school, like, or a doctor friend, and he did like improv throughout, like throughout all of med school. And he was like my, and he was like, yeah, that's how he got in. Cause like he stood out that way. There was something else that he was doing that like he could talk about. And you can always add that into like, let's say you you're going to um, med school interviews or something like that. There's some, there's ways that you can add it in. Like um, for example, like theater, I think really helped with my confidence or like being more sure of yourself or like um, just like things like that, like maybe like more public speaking or whatever, you know, because you have to be able to talk to people if you want to be a doctor. Right. Um, and there's a lot of ways that other things outside of like your standard STEM extracurriculars can help you as a pre-med student. Um, I was also on, uh, or I'm still on the club, um, Cal club women's uh, soccer team. And that was like another thing that outside, like, it makes friends and it also like is a way that you're like a little bit more um well-rounded i don't know and then you can do like there's the um pmhs which is pre-med medical what is it <laughs> pre-medical honor society um which it just it gives you a bunch of resources as a pre-med student which and it's you have to apply but it's like not that hard you just need to like give your transcript and like show your gpa and it's, it's like then you get in like <laughs> and it's a really helpful resource you basically get put in you get out what you put in um and yeah extracurriculars clinical experience was rough during covid i know there's um people who maybe did it a little bit earlier like their freshman year where um they can apply now i'm going to take a couple gap years to get a little bit more clinical experience um i did a couple things like uh, now I'm an EMT, like I got my certification last summer. So that's a way that you could get clinical experience, but not have to work for free. <laughs> Cause I like, I don't know what it is with like places love getting pre-med students to work for free and <laughs> just be like, that's also another thing that's like a um, discrepancy with like, like not everyone can work for free and have the time to do that. I don't know. Um, and I also studied or like did clinical stuff abroad. But that's like a whole completely other thing. All right. So with extracurriculars, I think you mentioned that you were going to take um, a gap year and or like you were planning to take gap years um, to kind of get some more clinical experience. So uh, coming into, I guess, college, I see that the path to becoming a doctor is really, really, really long. I mean, you have your undergrad and then you have med school and then residency and then if you want to do fellowship so it the years really do add up and so I can I think I can understand the gap year but then there's also a part of me that's like but it's it's taking so long it's going to take forever I'm going to be like 30 something by the time I'm working like officially so what's your perspective towards gap years. Uh, I know that it's becoming like more popular now and people are actually recommending it for a number of reasons, but 
I guess there are pros and cons to to a gap year. And yeah, I'd just like to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I had the same mindset where I was like, I'm going to be so old (laughs) before I like actually get to do what I want to do. But also I think it's such a long path, unless like you are like for sure, this is what I want to do. I've like, you know, like you've done all the things where you're like, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. Then you can go straight. And I feel like if you're not burnt out, then um, like, so be it. But also I think there's a lot to say about like finding yourself as a person. Cause I think you spend so much time like studying through undergrad and things like that to like, um, and you're like always grinding where you kind of have this tunnel vision of like, I know where I want to be in 10 years already, right? Like you've thought so far ahead, but um, I think finding what you like and like really exploring your options before you commit, cause it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time to go to med school, right? Like you want to make sure that's exactly what you want to do. And there's a lot of people that go in and, you know, they've realized maybe this is not what I want, right? Maybe like, and you've already spent so much time doing it. So I think, um, it also just builds your, builds your application as well. Knowing that like you, you stop school to do and explore all these other things and you realize med school is what you want to do. So when they ask you why you want to be there, you have a more solid answer than like, I don't know, this is just, I want to help people, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that Christine just said. Um, and also I think so for me, I'm one year younger than Christine and like even literally up until like last month, I was deciding like, oh, like, should I take a gap year or should I not? You know, like I can't really tell what I want. And I was kind of like weighing the pros and cons for myself. But ultimately, I also decided to go with a gap year just because I think I want to take the time to like do some things for myself. Like, for example, if I wasn't taking a gap year, I'm a junior right now, so I would be applying um, at the end of next semester or next semester, I guess, writing my apps and turning them in like around May or so when the application is open. But um, I've really been wanting to study abroad, you know, especially after be- after doing COVID or after going through COVID and like being stuck at home and stuff. And actually my brother, um, completely different route than me, like finance guy, um, but he graduated college before he could study abroad just because he's planning to do it in his last quarter. But then because COVID happened, um, it got canceled and everything. And he told me like, that's one of the things like he really regrets. So I was just wondering like, oh my gosh, like, is it worth it to drop everything for a semester? You know, if you go abroad, it's like, I was thinking like, oh, I'm not gonna be working in my lab Then I'm not gonna be, you know, like getting my research hours. I can't do like a research paper. It'll at least be pushed back. Like all these clubs that like, I'm trying to get like leadership positions in, like it's just, everything is pushed back for a semester. And you're basically just dropping your life here to like go study somewhere else for like, you know, like five months, pretty long. But I realized like med school is always going to be there. You know, it's not like going anywhere. It's just a matter of like when you apply and there's honestly no rush. Like you're going to be in school forever, <laughs> like, you know? And I think like a key to like, at least for me um, to not get burned out is like taking the time to like do things that, that I really want to do and enjoy. And it's not like my time abroad is going to be like a total waste. You know, I'm going to be taking classes there that I'm interested in, hopefully getting some exposure to you know, hospitals or anything like that, clinical settings in different countries. And I think that could really add to your application because like, like I, like Christine said, it's kind of all about like standing out. You don't want to be like 
on paper like some bio major with like and that's all you do because there's like a million of those out there like that's everyone who's applying so I think um Christine at least has done like a super good job of like finding things that she's passionate about like soccer theater like things like that like that and like incorporating it into her schedule and for me like travel is like something that I really enjoy and I wanted to be able to like you know like at least study abroad in college like when will you ever get a time for that um so that's why for me and I don't want to be like you know writing my applications while I'm like studying abroad I kind of just want to take that time to enjoy and like explore different cultures and communities um and that's why I thought it was really worth it for me and why I want to take a gap year um, and also I think it's important to think about what you're going to do with your gap year. I don't think you should really just take a gap year just like, cause you don't, you're like dreading, you know, applying. Like you can either like take that time to strengthen your application, like try new things, discover yourself kind of as Christine was saying. And yeah, it's honestly, I think what you make of it and um, what you do with your time. So that's like kind of my whole advice with gap years. Like there, you shouldn't like not take a gap year just because you're like, oh, like, um there's too much stigma like or people are gonna be like why are you taking a gap year like it's so common now and like you shouldn't really think like that when applying to med school it's just like whether you feel ready or not as an applicant whether you feel you've done um enough with your life before committing to you know four more years of school like all that all in one go and we're still like really young so I would say like just take this time to like find out like if this is like what you really want to do thank you so much I Definitely think that it takes time to get to know yourself. And I look forward to figuring out who I am over the next <laughs> so many years. <laughs> and then I think a final question, um, as someone who doesn't really have parents or family that's like immediate and who are physicians, I am kind of new to all of this. I don't, I've never had like a mentor or somebody to guide me through the process. And so I really am super unfamiliar uh, with the whole process. And, you know, I'm learning so much just from you guys. So I was wondering if you guys had a mentor and how you were able to find one, if you did have one, like how you were able to network and, and kind of put yourself out there to get someone who can support you and guide you through. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm a first gen like college student. And also I don't have like, my parents are not doctors and I don't have really family members that are doctors. So it is hard navigating. And I wish I probably joined these medical clubs earlier. And like, it's a great thing that you already as a freshman are in AMSTA because there's a lot of clubs, including this club. And I think PMHS does it. I think Katie Sapp does it as well. I'm not completely sure, but the pre-med um, clubs, they have programs where you can get, um, medical school mentors where like people like at UCSF will like they'll pair you with a medical school student and then like you can ask them questions like they're like how like school life is how they got in what their application process was like which um was really helpful for me and they're like very nice and you can also like when it comes to applying and things like that you can like send them your um application and like they can read it and things like that and I think that's just like an easy way to automatically have mentors that are like paired up with you instead of trying to just like navigate your way and like find them just through like coffee chats and things like that. Like that's, I think joining clubs is a really great way to get mentors. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Seems like we're all in the same boat, you know. My parents are not doctors. I have an older brother, but like completely different field. Like, you know, so I felt really lost as well. And um, I think I honestly found my mentorship through kind of clubs. And then like, once I joined my research lab, there were students who are older than me and like kind of just connecting with people that you meet in your classes or like that you meet um, through these clubs who could be older than you and might have experienced more of the process than you and I found that super helpful since I didn't really have like an adult figure in my life who pursued medicine and even so um I think the process has changed a lot like mindsets of those um who were trying to be doctor who became doctors like you know like before we were born versus like the process now not saying it wasn't competitive back then but I just think like the process has changed like there might be some things that they're unfamiliar with so for me, I think I found it most helpful to seek out mentorship in those who are very similar in age range, maybe just one or two years older, who have like just gone through the process and like have it very fresh in their mind. Um, and like Christine was saying, there's a lot of like different clubs who provide that kind, those kinds of opportunities for mentorships. Even, you know, like um, I'm actually in KDSAP. So we, they host a lot of like medical panels um, with like doctors from UCSF and they'll come and chat and you can ask them basically whatever you want. You know, it's just like a physician um, little like question and answer panel kind of style. And like, also like in these clubs, like you can coffee chat, you know, like there's opportunities for like, for you as like a younger freshman or sophomore to coffee chat with these older um, members um, who have likely, you know, like are further in the process than you, which I found really helpful. Yeah, thank you so much for the advice and, you know, for your time. I think that this whole episode has been super informative for me. I've been taking as many mental notes as possible, and I am so grateful to have you guys as resources and friends. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for you guys, and I can't wait to see what's coming up uh, for me and for you. So yeah, thank you. Any last words? Um, I would just say, don't make school your life, make it part of your life. And I think it took me a long time to like figure that out. And that's why I took a gap year. It's like, people always say like, oh, med school students give up their twenties. You can do that without giving up your twenties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and that's why I think I'm a proponent of a gap year too, is like, you get to travel and enjoy your life. And like, and it's also just rejuvenating to do that and then go back to medical school or things like that. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're not giving up yourself for this job. It should be part of your life. Definitely. Um, medicine is something that you should enjoy doing, not like you dreading the schoolwork and all of that. I mean, no one, like no one loves all of this, you know, like it comes at a cost, but at the end of the day, like it's all worth it if that's what you truly want to do. And you just have to make sure that you're not giving yourself up to do this job, but rather like you're pursuing this path because you, you think it'll enhance your life and it'll make you happier in the long run. Um, and yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <Hey>, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye.